When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, this is Larry H. Russell here, featured columnist at CLNS Radio, familiar voice here on Celtics Beat, and of course, author of the now critically acclaimed Fall of the Boston Celtics. Thank you to all those who have downloaded the book. Your appreciation only serves as a validation. And to those still interested in claiming your free copy that you are obligated to as a Celtics or an NBA fan, go to www.clnsradio.com slash LHRbook. That's clnsradio.com slash LHRbook. But for now, we know why you're here. To listen to the number one Boston Celtics podcast on the web, Celtics Beat. Brought to you by lynda.com. Now, on with the show. Hello Celtics fans and welcome to this Super Bowl Sunday edition of CLNS Radio Celtics Beat. Powered by lynda.com. I know that most folks' attention is on tonight's Super Bowl matchup, but we've got a great show for you today. We'll talk about the recently concluded Celtics week, including the end of a pretty successful six-game road trip, and their return to the Garden Friday night against old friend Kevin McHale's Houston Rockets. We'll also preview today's Super Bowl sports appetizer, the C's matchup with the Miami Heat at the Garden. A little later on in the show, we'll be joined by our guest, Sham Sharanya from RealGM.com, about the rapidly approaching NBA trade deadline, as well as the impact some players recently called up from the NBA Development League are having in the big show. I'm joined today by my co-host, Dr. Andre Snellings of Rotowire. Well, Andre, the Celtics square off against the Miami Heat today, but a lot of luster has worn off this matchup in the past 18 months, hasn't it? Yeah, it's not quite what it used to be. Uh, 2012 was a, was, was a long time ago. Yeah, that was kind of the last hurrah that, uh, of course, uh, series against the Heat in the Eastern Conference Championships. The Celtics fell a little bit short. But, you know, it, it's funny, even last season with uh, LeBron still in Miami, you remember there was that early uh, game early in the season in which the Celtics kind of had a really improbable comeback. They they were down, I think it was by about six uh, points with, with less than 15 seconds left and kind of got lucky with a couple of missed free throws. And, of course, Jeff Green hit that crazy turnaround uh, three-pointer from the corner. Uh, so even, even last season, there was you know, still a little bit of excitement. But this year with Dwayne Wade out and, uh, you know, all of the, uh, the, the the last remnants, really, of the Celtics championship uh, run really off the roster, there's not a lot to look forward to in this game. Yeah, I mean, it is different. You know, uh, we'll never know exactly what was said on the court in some of those battles with, uh, you know, <laughs> Pierce and Garnett versus LeBron. But by all indications... That rivalry was made extremely personal, you know, from the time it was in Cleveland to Miami. And it was kind of focused around that core group. And so, yeah, last year, Rondo was was one of the only ones who was still there. You know, he had the ring and he had been there through all of the battles. So, you know, him and and LeBron could still have a little bit of edge to him. But, you know, no Rondo, no LeBron, no Wade. Um, It's kind of hard to to get angry about playing a team that's struggling to get to the playoffs themselves, you know? What was some of your, what was your, your one or two best uh, memories from, from that rivalry when it was kind of at, there at its peak? There were a lot of them because I don't think people, a lot of people kind of forget that the Celtics went through LeBron or, or vice versa, like five times yep. between 2008 and, and 2012. So, so obviously I guess it wasn't Miami yet, you know, when, when the Celtics won their rings when so Miami, that 2012 series was just beautiful because Miami was supposed to be a juggernaut. 
They were supposed to just run through things. The Celtics were supposed to be too old. And and they just like 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 the uh, the Western, just mm-hmm. one last ride, one last hurrah. You know, I remember um, like uh, when the Celtics finished the round before Miami, and, and they were interviewing uh, Kevin Garnett after the game. He, he says, "Let's do it," and just turns and stares at the camera. And I was like, "Yeah, it's <laughs> on." I mean, so so yeah, just that whole everything about that playoff run, push ups, the Rondo going crazy, the 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 Paul Pierce hitting the shot to seal it. It was just, it, it was, I guess, the last of, of, of the magic of, uh, what was it, Danny's three-year plan? Yeah, for me, you know, obviously that 2012, that whole series was was just magic. But if I had to really kind of single out three moments, it was, I, I think it was the first, it was a regular season game, and it was right after the big three had come together. It was the first Celtics Heat matchup. And there was a play early in the game where Rondo just took the ball down the left-hand side of the lane and just rose up and one-hand dunked right it right over Chris mm-hmm. Bosh. And, and that was just kind of like, okay, you still have to go through us, folks. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, I think the, another moment was in that 2012 series and you you referenced this the the big shot in game five about Paul Pierce but just you know even just beyond the shot the his comment after making the shot you know the the I'm a bad man comment that was just quintessential <laughs> Pierce that's, what he said. that's one of my favorite memories of him and then you know uh, in the series actually in 2011 where they came up short uh, the of course Rondo had the injury um, you know uh, I can to this day contend that was uh, one of the dirtiest plays I've ever seen in the NBA. Uh, the play that he got injured on, where, where Dwayne Wade kind of dragged him down by the arm uh, intentionally, uh, but then him coming back out, basically playing with one arm and destroying the the Heat uh, in that that uh, you know one game, and of course didn't didn't end up the way we wanted it to. And of course that 2012 series, yeah, they they you talked about the, the image of the the Western and the the one last shot, the gunslinger, the agent gunslinger. But you know for me it actually reminded me. Of, it was like our version of that that 1969 Celtics team, and of course the you know, the, the the ending was was very different. But kind of the proud champion, just kind of refusing to to concede to father time and and quietly go out the door. You know they had to be ushered out the door, and and of course LeBron did that in in that big game six and then game seven uh, down in Miami. So yeah, that was that was a great time. And so uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, like I said, today's matchup not not quite the same uh, intensity and drama surrounding it, but. Uh, it should be an interesting game, uh, especially with folks uh, kind of wanting to maybe take it a little bit easy in the drama department leading up to the Super Bowl. Of course, earlier in the week, the Celtics concluded a six-game road trip with an ugly loss to the terrible Timberwolves up in Minneapolis, which followed a split of back-to-back games at Golden State and Utah. Andre, did that ugly loss kind of sour what was otherwise a relatively successful trip? I wouldn't say it soured it. I will say that before that loss, it was really feeling like, wow, this team is, I mean— took out Portland, took out Denver, you know, battled Golden State. It was like, wow, this is a heck of a trip. But it it didn't sour me because, again, I guess I kind of have a a little bit of a global view with this team. You know, (laughs) it's not like every win. I'm I'm, I'm living and dying with every win because it's like it's about the process. It's about where they're trying to get to. And so, you know, in the NBA, sometimes you have stinkers and, I guess that Minnesota game was just that stinker. Maybe they were just exhausted on the last leg of a six-game road trip. If so, I could forgive them for that one, especially with the way they played before that. It was nice to see them get wins. Wins are always nice anytime, especially on the road where in the Western Conference where Celtics had gone quite a while uh, without winning a game out there. But if you really dissect those games, you know, they beat Portland on a night that LaMarcus Aldridge and Nick Batum were out. So you kind of have to take that with a bit of grain of salt. Uh, they beat a Denver team that was playing without Ty Lawson, of course, with the DWI uh, charge the, the, the night before. And, you know, that's a team that's struggling to find their identity anyway. And they beat a Utah team, which is is kind of in the, the same place as, as they are right now. So I didn't get too excited about those wins. And you see, and as you said, you know, this team just, you know, is still trying to find its identity and, and a rotation. And you're going to have nights like they had against Minneapolis. And, you know, I'm not sure Flip Saunders was all too pleased with, with getting a win there uh, in that situation. Uh, <laughs> but, Messing up uh, his lottery status. Yeah, exactly. But they got a big game out of Zach Levine. And, uh, you know, Avery Bradley in particular had a, a real tough time with him. So, you know, he didn't surprise me and it didn't disappoint me. It just kind of was one of those things. But I think folks had maybe gotten their hopes up a little bit. And I think that was maybe, um, you know, again, the expectations feel like they've been kind of riding a roller coaster a bit, bit this season. Yeah. You know, one of the things I was kind of taken away from that whole road trip was just 
the play of Brandon Bass. You know, mm-hmm. he um, I guess as as we get closer to the trade deadline, you know, every, everyone is always looking at, OK, are they showcasing somebody for possible trade value? But um, he was just playing really well for about a, a streak of about five games now. And yeah. so and it was kind of it peaked during that that West Coast trip. I mean, as, as you alluded to, some of the power teams they played had had people out but you know even when they played golden state and, and it was supposed to be just a blowout that they managed to keep it keep it tight even with the splash brothers playing so um the, the the trip was fun to watch and it was fun to see bass play as well as he did even if it was really just a a showcase yeah, and it was odd that it kind of coincided with him getting some significant minutes at the five, of course, you know, moving into the starting lineup in place of Tyler Zeller, uh, Kelly Olenek being out now for uh, quite a while with the with the severe ankle sprain. Uh, Bass kind of stepped up to the challenge of plug in the middle there, and, you know, he's obviously not going to be a rim protector, but he brings an element of toughness there, particularly on the boards. And, and I, I, you know, I think he's played really well as, as this season has progressed, and the Celtics also dropped the first game back home on Friday night against one of the Western, another one of the Western Conference powers, the Houston Rockets. The Rockets were without Dwight Howard, but still built a big lead in the first half. The Celtics tightened up the defense in the second, holding Houston to nine points in the third quarter, but they couldn't get over the hump and really had no answer for seven-footer Donatus Montiunas, who finished with a career-high 29 in a 93-87 to Rockets win. And Andre, you mentioned the game against Golden State, and they were down big in that game and fought their way back. Are these comebacks close losses against some of these good teams starting to feel a little bit like fool's gold i don't know if it's fool's gold i think it's more kind of a question of of do you believe in moral victories you know like the celtics are not as talented as those teams i mean they're just not and so if those teams can go out on a run and and feel like hey we got this game won and the celtics can can, you know say you know what we're going to keep working hard we're going to try to bring it back and, and come t- turn some of those 20 point deficits into tie games or even, you know, small leads and, and force the big boys to, to have to earn their win. To me, that's, that's, there's value in that. There, there's, mm-hmm. there's tangible value in that. And so with this team, when playing those types of squads, that's, a, that's about my maximum expectation. You know, if they can play hard, if they can make them work, they can get a win. Great. But just the fact that, that, these aren't walkover games. You know, I've seen teams that have kind of mailed it in for the season. That it's just, you know, they'll go out there and if, if the other team gets up by 10, they might as well be up by 40. It's mm-hmm. over, you know. So I, I like that the Celtics have some fight in them. Yeah, you know, clearly Golden State and Houston, at least for periods of that game, were you know thinking they could you know, kind of skate out, take a little bit of a a bit of a night off, at least a partial night off. And yeah, the encouraging thing is the team doesn't kind of cave into that mentality and and just kind of roll over and play dead for the big boys. They 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 want to punch them back, and that that's a that's a good trait to have. And I think that's part of that culture thing that we've talked about quite a bit. But you know, ultimately they're just you know too many men short, and and they just have trouble generating offense. You know, you look at that that. Houston game, Houston, you know, when they needed to, they could just put on a spurt with just the ball movement and the, and the outside shooting. So, you know, I think, like you said, you know, expecting them to go out and fight hard is, is really kind of the, the, the ceiling for this team. And, and it's good to see them, you know, continuing to do that all the way into, you know, what's almost February now. And I want to remind listeners to head over to CLNSRadio.com and pick up a copy of a fantastic book by our executive producer and noted Celtics historian Larry H. Russell. The book is called The Fall of the Boston Celtics, and it takes an in-depth and insightful look at the dark ages between the 1986 and 2008 championships. Before we bring in our guest, Real GM's Sham Sharania, we'd like to bring you a word from our sponsor, Lynda.com. Hi, this is Sean Backey from CLNS Radio and the Evening Score Sports Podcast. Kickstart your new year and challenge yourself to learn something new with a free 10-day trial to lynda.com. lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world and has over 4,500 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design, and business, as well as software training like Excel, WordPress, and Photoshop. All of their courses are taught by experts and new courses are added to the site every week. Whether you want to set new financial goals, find work-life balance, invest in a new hobby, ask your boss for a raise, or even find a new job or improve upon the current job skills in 2015, lynda.com has something for everyone. 
Now, if you sign up today for the free 10-day trial by visiting lynda.com slash CLNS, you'll get the benefits of unlimited access to every course on lynda.com. You'll also get access to view tutorials on tablets and iPhone and Android mobile devices, as well as access to new courses added every week. Some of the courses that were recommended for me uh, include analyzing your website to improve SEO, viral marketing, and web analytics fundamentals. Do something good for yourself in 2015 and sign up for the free 10-day trial to lynda.com by visiting lynda.com slash CLNS. Go ahead. I challenge you to learn something new in 2015. All right, let's bring in our guest, Sham Sharanya from RealGM. You can find his work, of course, on RealGM.com and follow him on Twitter at Sham Sharanya, S-H-A-M-S-C-H-A-R-A-N-I-A. Welcome to the show, Shams. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great joining you guys. And the trade deadline is a few weeks off. Are there any potential blockbuster moves out there that you're hearing about? You know, I feel like this this NBA season especially has been more active than, than the past. I mean, you had Corey Brewer traded. Dion Waiters traded in the first couple months of the season. I think probably the biggest name to watch right now is, is see what could happen with a guy like Reggie Jackson, whose name has already been out there with teams like Denver. He was, I mean, he, he was mostly involved with the New York situation in mm-hmm. the three-team trade. So I think he's a name that that could definitely be uh, moved by the trade deadline, as you've probably already read. But, you know, I feel like this this NBC has been probably the most active than it has been in, in a long time. I feel like even executives around the league feel like their team's feeling urgency um, and, and a strong desire to improve their teams. And there's a lot of pressure from ownership from a lot of these teams as well. Yeah, there was uh, certainly... Uh a little bit uh, early activity compared to, to past years. Uh, do you think that bodes anything in particular for the, the period right up before the deadline? Do you think, you think it can, it'll continue to be active? Or do you think teams kind of uh, made a lot, a lot of their moves early and are going to kind of sit back at this point? I think right now most teams are sitting back, but I think after the trade deadline, what you're going to see is some guys that might get bought out. Either they get traded and then they get bought out or, or just – flat buyout guys. I think someone to look at is Tayshaun Prince. If he's not traded by Boston, then I think he's definitely a buyout guy. I know that's what they were talking about. Um, you know, I was covering the showcase and I know that that was the word around there that, you know, Tayshaun Prince is a guy that, that if he's not traded, Boston could easily buy him out and, and he could join a contender. So I think after the trade deadline, I definitely expect him to be active. I know Dockers and the Clippers are going to be scouring the market. They, they've been looking for a wing hard. It's probably anyone in the league. They were in on Jeff Green with Boston late, um, but just couldn't find the pieces to make it work. So I think they're a team to watch out for, especially after the trade deadline. Interesting. So um, you brought up Tayshaun Prince and the Celtics. So the Seas have already made some big moves. And um, from what you're saying, you're kind of expecting things to be quiet around the deadline. But what do you think about a guy like Brandon Bass? A lot of people think he's he's the next one to be traded, uh, especially with him kind of seeming like he's been showcased le- uh, lately. Um, have you heard anything on that front? I mean, I feel like Boston's a team that, that, that's been active on, on every front. I mean, it, just trading Rondo and then Green shortly thereafter just proves that it proved everyone around the league that they're not really in a position right now where they're going to be, you know, seriously contending for the playoffs. I mean, you can even read Danny Ainge's comments, I believe, yet, I believe today or, or yesterday to a local writer over there, and he was just saying how, you know, he was basically lukewarm about the process of making the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, which right now they're still in it. There's no reason for them not to fight for it, yet you have Danny Ainge saying, you know, if, if we're if we're a bad, if we have a bad record and we're just stumbling in, I'd rather, you know, us probably contend for, for a higher draft pick. So I think, I definitely think all those guys, Brandon Bass, um, you know, Tayshaun Prince are guys that they're going to be showcasing to see if they can get any type of value. I mean, Boston could have easily bought out Tayshaun Prince right after trading firm, but they're a team that's going to, you know, try to get any type of value they can. And he's played well with teams in Boston. So I think, they're definitely going to be looking for, for some kind of asset for him. 
And earlier you mentioned GMs feeling some pressure. Which teams do you think are feeling the most pressure to make a move, and how successful do you think they'll be? I think Oklahoma City. Um, you 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 already saw a little bit of it with the DR leadership, mm-hmm. but I think they're a team that's that's definitely feeling a ton of pressure inside and outside that organization. I mean, you have Kevin Durant becoming a free agent in a couple seasons. I think that's the biggest tipping point of pressure that there can be in the league right now. I mean, LeBron is year to year as well, but he's the guy who most people expect to stay in Cleveland at this point. Um, so I think Kevin Durant right now is probably the biggest storyline and biggest you know, free agent to be. So I think Oklahoma City has to do whatever it can to keep him in a season that they might not make the playoffs. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's big. I think it's going to send shockwaves around the league, and I think people are going to start to feel it more if, if that does come to fruition. Yeah, no, I just think, you know, there are a lot of teams in the East as well that are just trying to see if they're buyers or sellers. Um, a lot of, you know, mid and, and lower tier teams. I know Cleveland was shopping around for a long time for a big man. They finally found one in Moscow, and now they're, they're flat out rolling. So I think, I think there are still teams out there. New York, I heard, I've heard all season long of them being active on the trade market. So, I mean, all these teams are, are, are really feeling the urgency. But I think if I had to pick one, I would probably go with Oklahoma City. So it, it's interesting that you mentioned OKC. Um, and what I was so eager to ask uh, a minute ago, you know, because a few days ago, Frank Isola reported that Kevin Durant had his eyes on the Knicks in free agency. You know, you mentioned the pressure they're feeling. You know, what are the odds you think that he might leave OKC? And um, if he does, is he really looking at the Knicks? Or, you know, who would you consider the front runners? I would, I, if I had to put odds on it, I'd say they're greater. It's greater than 50% odds that he stays in OKC just because of what he's built there, what he, the comments that he's made to the public in terms of his, his, his desire to stay in Oklahoma City. So I think, you know, I, the odds, I would say, are greater than 50% of him staying, but you can never count out any any other team. I mean, New York, Los Angeles, all those teams, all the big market teams, I don't think you can count out. I think, you know, it's funny when, when I, I, I saw that as well about Kevin Durant eyeing New York. I think it's more than all these teams are eyeing Kevin Durant than <laughs> eyeing anyone. You know, for him, it'll, I mean... He's he's in a position right now where I think it took LeBron a few years to understand this, you know, post decision in 2010 that he doesn't need to like players like him, Kevin Durant, you know, the top players in the game. I mean, even Carmelo wasted all of this, or or it seems he wasted a ton of energy and and stress, you know, worrying about the agency. But those those kinds of superstars are in a position where they can really just focus on the season, focus on their current team. It doesn't matter whatever they do. All these teams are going to be chasing them. They're going to have to make a decision at some point, one way or the other. There's no point in, in you know trying to decide where you're going to go two years in advance. I think LeBron was kind of got caught up in that and making free agency comments, you know, in 2008, 2009, years before he's going to enter free agency. So I think, you know, it's, Kevin Durant's kind of in that same position where, he doesn't need to think about where he's going to go next. I mean, the second he becomes an available free agent in New York, Los Angeles, all these teams, any team with any type of cap space is going to be running after him. So I think he's in a position, I think he's kind of embracing that mindset where he's just focused on, on the season and focused on his team. Of course, once the trade deadline passes, teams become much more limited in their ability to add help. You had mentioned the veteran buyouts, that, that's a possibility. But you also mentioned the D-League Showcase, and the NBA Development League is increasingly becoming a way of injecting some talent into a roster. The big story over the past couple of weeks has been the impact that Hassan Whitesides has had after being called up from the D-League by the Miami Heat. He put up a monster rebounding game the other night with 25, 24 boards and a loss to the Mavs. Can you tell listeners a little bit about Whitesides' game and why all of a sudden he's having this kind of impact yeah you know white side the past few years he's just you know he's fallen off all the nba radars i was you know i, I talked to his agent um the other day and he was just saying i no one wanted to give this guy a chance again no one no one had any type of trust in him to come into their situation and buy in and understand their concepts and everything but he went to the dealers he went, he went to training camp first with memphis then he went to the D-League, and he got called up by Memphis, and I just think this this whole year has been an experience for him to, to get recalibrated and, and get his get himself back in an NBA situation. I think his his problem had always been, you know, his mentality, his his lack of 
full maturity at the NBA level. And I think he's still finding his way around that. I know there were still some people turning their heads, you know, around the league. I know it makes the great comments when he comes out after a game, completely destroys Doc Rivers, and then he makes comments like, you know, Doc could have had me. Um, he passed on me, so it's all great. I think, you know, stuff like that is still things that people around the league are like, okay, you can kind of hold that to yourself. Cause I feel like that's the stuff that kind of tripped him up. But overall, I mean, he's just been an incredible story out of the D League, you know, for him to come in. And, I mean, even his triple-double game against the Bulls, I think he had 13 points, 13 rebounds, 12 blocks. I mean, stuff like that is just, it brings back old memories of Kembe and, and all those other, you know, major shot blockers of of past. It just seems like there's there's been a big, you know, lack of of that kind of presence around the league for, since probably Shaq. So I think what he's been able to do is, is incredible. Yeah, he certainly has a you know, unique set of athletic skills. A guy that that tall with with those kinds that kind of quickness and, and leaping ability. I, I mean, do you think he's going to be able to to sustain some of this play to to a degree? I mean, obviously not expecting twelve blocks every night, but you know w- what happens is he gets around the league a little bit and guys start to adjust and game plan for him a little bit. I think a guy like him can, is going to be able to do exactly what he does, barring any type of you know breakdown mentally or physically. I mean, what he's doing right now is just to the basics. He's not going outside his comfort zone. It's not like he's demanding post-ups at this point. He's just finding, he has a knack of finding the ball. He's on offense and on defense. On offense, he's, he's the guy you can easily just go a lot to dish inside for an easy pass uh, based on penetration and then on the defensive end. He's just, he's been an animal. I mean, he's been attacking every shot that goes up on the rim and he's around the basket. So I think stuff that he's doing right now, as long as he stays in his game, I don't, I wouldn't expect any type of significant drop-off unless he has a you know breakdown in his, his mental state, or if, if he gets in the doghouse of Eric Spoelstra's lineup. Yeah, you know it, it's interesting. You were talking about that his um, perceived weakness was always his mentality. You mm-hmm. kind of cited his you know calling out coaches or people that may have uh, passed on him um, as it's kind of evidence for that. You know, just was it yesterday? The day before yesterday. I read Damian Lillard call out the commissioner by name because he got snubbed for the All-Star. And for Lillard, I, most of the response that I saw was almost like it was a strength. Like, yeah, that edge is what makes him great, you know. And, and I, mm-hmm. I even I sent out a tweet kind of comparing him to Steve Smith in football, how, you know, that that guy with the edge, on the chip on his shoulder, you know, he's, he's keep, keeping track of the people that, that slighted him so that he can, you know, show them up. So, why is it considered a strength for players like them and a weakness for somebody like Whiteside? I think it's considered a strength for a guy like Lillard because he's proven himself over and over and over again. He's gotten that credibility to where, you know, people perceive that. I mean, you know, you know how the game works. I mean, a guy like Kobe, you know, gets angry in a game or, or, or curses on a teammate and the whole world says, wow, what, what an incredible teammate. Um, you know, what a competitor, et cetera, et cetera. And you see, and you see any type of lower level guy and you, it's just a sign of being a bad teammate. So I think it kind of just goes with the credibility. I mean, in terms of Whiteside, I mean, what he's been able to do right now is complete clear resurrection. But going back to his days in, in Sacramento, I know what I had heard was a, a big thing with him was just his, his head was getting too, his head was getting bigger than his game. I think some guys, Guys like Lillard, their game is as big as their their talk. I mean, it's not bigger. So I think for for him, it's just always been about getting level-headed. Speaking of Whiteside, you know, getting level-headed and letting his play do all the talking. And he's clearly done that so far. And and the hope is that he stays like this. Are there other players down in the D-League capable of having an impact at the NBA level and are just awaiting a chance like Whiteside's got? For sure, for sure. I mean, you guys just, the the Celtics just called up... uh, Andre Dawkins last week, I think he's he's a terrific shooter, and I think he definitely has a spot in this league as a as a two guard. He can just spot up and and give you threes um, and floor spacing. And then I mean there are various guys down there in the D league right now who can easily get called up. A guy like Bryce Cotton, Willie Reed. Um, I think both both of those guys are NBA caliber players right now. They're just basically just wait, waiting on the opportunities like. A lot of the guys in the B League are um, James Michael McAdoo, who was just called up to the Gold State Warriors. He's another guy who, who probably you'll see again in the league soon. So I think there's there there are a bevy of guys. I think that's what makes the D League 
you know, so much better than it was, you know, for the past few, few years. I mean, there's so much talent. I mean, you've got guys like Quincy Miller passing a million-dollar overseas office in Spain to, to go in the B-League. I think that just, that just has to help to give each credibility and just give the NBA more talent to choose from. What are some of the challenges in trying to translate performances in the D-League and project them at, at the NBA level? I think just just how the system that they're playing in is going to fit to the NBA level. I know a big concern being at the D-League Showcase earlier in the month was just seeing you know how, how scouts and people on the league would, would respond to... I'm sure you guys know about Reno. I mean, they just put up all these points, but a lot of those guys don't play a lick of defense. I mean, Brady Hesler is is going to be one of the top shooters in the world. He is right now one of the top shooters in the world. But, you know, that team is, just lacks a defensive identity, and I, I feel like people look at that team and don't believe that the style that they play is, is conducive to the NBA level, and that's why a lot of those guys are going to be overlooked. A guy like Quincy Miller goes over there and gets called up, but that's a lot of that is because he already got his name brand. Um, you know, Jordan Hamilton is also in Reno, and I still I expect him to get called up maybe at some point this year as well, just because he has name recognition and, and a, an identifiable game. So I think I think what goes into the D League is just how guys are going to be able to translate. Uh, I think a lot of scouts look at the team setup that they're in right now and, and basically judge if if we if we take this guy and put him on our team. In our system, is he going to be able to flourish like he is there? That, I think that's the biggest key. So, you know, the, this D-League stuff is really interesting to me because I remember, you know, a handful of years ago when it was kind of implemented and, and it was supposed to be, you know, the minor leagues of the NBA. And, and teams were going to send down their high draft picks to get some seasoning and then bring them up. And then that's not really what happened. You know, it, it almost felt like the D-League kind of was a badge of dishonor. Like, you know, if you were a lottery pick, you didn't want to go there. You wanted to, to you'd rather sit mm-hmm. at the big league levels than, than go down there. You know, a player like Whiteside and his success obviously kind of helps to refocus attention on the D league. What do you think could be done to kind of make the league more of what it was intended to be as opposed to what it's become? I think it's, it's on the right track. I definitely believe it's on the right track, man. I think they're, they're taking steps and, and convincing guys I think that's the biggest key. They're convincing NBA caliber guys to stay there rather than go overseas where you can make a, a ton more money than you can in the D-League. I think a big way to upgrade the D-League and keep the talent at, at a premium would be to increase the pay. I think that's number one. I think you've got to increase the pay. I think it's up to that about 20, 20 plus thousand for, for, a, for a non, you know, five-year player in the D-League. I mean, and, and the funny part is the buyout of that contract is 50000 So it's more than the players are getting paid. So let's say a player gets a gets a you know, contract offer from a European team. I mean, a European team is going to have to pay a $50,000 buyout to get to the D-League affiliate. That's more than how much you know the player would get paid. So I think that's just ridiculous. And I think... I, I think that's what most you know, agents feel would, would definitely be able to keep some of these guys from from going overseas and keeping the D-League and in the NBA eyes. I think that's probably the biggest thing right now. Um, other than that, I feel like it's, it's definitely on, on a good track. And I think the NBA D-League, I, I know it gets a bad rap, but I mean, you got some guys who, who are staying there and, and not going going overseas. I think that's, that's big for the league. Shams, you mentioned the D-League showcase. Was there one player in particular that stood out to you in that showcase that, that you thought really stood head and shoulders above the rest? I think, you know, a guy like Bryce Cotton, I'm, I'm surprised he still hasn't been called up yet. I think he's someone who, who could help an NBA team. I know even a team like Boston has, has looked into him a little bit in terms of a potential call-up. They're a team that could use a point guard right now. But I think they see him and Pressy as, as similar parts. So I think... So I don't think it's going to happen from there, but I think they're definitely teams looking into calling him up. And, and if you guys watched the showcase, he had 40 points, 11 rebounds, three assists, and, and a comeback when they were down by you know 15 points in one of their showcase games. And this is a game that's you know reaching 140 points, 150 points at like Reno and Rio Grande Valley. Uh, I mean, this was a, like a 90 to 80 game that they came back and won. Um, and I think that's the that's the type of thing that scouts are looking at. You know, what, what's the what's the system? What's the game like? And I think 
people look at that. It, the game's in the 90s and 80s, and he puts up 40 points, 11 rebounds. I think that's the biggest precursor for him to get called up. He hasn't been yet, but I think he, he's probably the guy who really stood out the most for me, at least in the D League. Of course, you've got like Jermichael Green, Quincy Miller, Tyrus Thomas able to get called up throughout the week in the D League early in the month. But I think a guy like Bryce Cotton has, has gone under the radar as a guy who probably is just as equally deserving as a call up. You're listening to RealGM.com's Shams Sharanya here on CLNS Radio Celtics Beat. Thanks for joining us today, Shams. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it, guys. Anytime. Andre, talking to Shams about D-League players capable of having an impact got me thinking about another guy that's making news this season, and that's Kyle Korver. I mean, I know he's never been a D-League player, but here's a guy that's been a journeyman for most of his career. And then the past couple of seasons, particularly this year, he's really flourishing in Atlanta. And obviously they've got, you know, they're at the top of the league, kind of a big surprise right now. And primarily, I think it's because he's in an environment that really suits his skills and takes advantage of what, what he can do. Uh, last time you and I did the show together, we talked about the possibility of Danny Ainge, rather than going big game hunting in the offseason, using the flexibility and assets they have to turn around the roster almost completely and build a team like Atlanta or Toronto, right? A team that, that of pieces that fit together. Are there other guys out there in the league that you think of are capable of blossoming later in their careers like Corver did when they're plugged in the right environment? And what do you think about what, what, what Corver's doing right now? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And to me, it speaks to somewhat the direction that the smart teams are going in the in the NBA right now. You know, as I say all the time, I'm a basketball nerd. You know, I love the advanced stats. I love the analytics. I love the abermetrics. And I think what we're seeing, you know, especially with the Spurs winning last year and with the success of teams like the Hawks this year, is that the, there are more and more basketball nerds in the front offices. And they're realizing that, you know what? We don't have to go with that old motto of get one or two or maybe three superstars and they're just going to run rugshot over everything. You know, there are certain roles that the that, that players can fulfill that they're really valuable if they're used in the right way. And, and you're seeing the game itself is almost kind of becoming more like a college game, a traditionally thought of college game than a pro game. The analytics tell you that a three point shot is so much more valuable than a mid range shot. Now, of course, you want to be good in the mid range as well, but that pushes players like Corver's value because now teams are, are willing to green light him. You know what? Just say what? Just stand behind the three-point line and take eight threes a game. You know, that that's a better use of those possessions than running the offense through the mid-range to a guy that might traditionally have been a 20-point-per-game scorer, but maybe he's just not as valuable anymore. So, so yes, I, I love what Corver's doing. I love that the league is moving to a point where more teams can take advantage of it. Um, I look at a guy like uh, J.J. Redick out in, in L.A. is another just pure shooter. I mean, I think I think pure shooting as a skill is something that's just becoming a lot more valuable as the NBA evolves. And, and so I think you'll see a lot more of those players that would have been either journeymen or, or guys that, that might have been, you know, just a, a bench slot type guy. I, I think you'll see more teams giving them a shot at the starting lineup and, and, and just feeding them the rock because that's just a really valuable skill right now. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, you talk about the, the the value of shooting and it extends even when when those players aren't shooting. You you look at what Corver is doing and he's actually not, you know, while while his he, he hangs his hat on on shooting and that that's where his value lies. He's actually not taking that many shots a game. I think you you use the the number 8 or 9. I think that's that's you know right, right around where he's at, but just the threat that he presents on the court on the court creates kind of this this gravity and and affects everybody uh, else on the court around him. And it, and it opens up things for guys like Jeff Teague, who's having a fantastic year. And I think that's really, in a lot of ways, directly attributable to the, the level of, of focus and respect that, that Corver draws from defenses. And, you know, I think um, uh, it was maybe a month or two ago, Kyle uh, Kirk's Kirk Goldsberry uh, of Grantland.com did a really interesting piece looking at the impact that uh, Corver has on the court. And just, I, I know they, they're starting to have with the, um, the sports view cameras, some statistics even about players and, and the attention that they draw. And, and it's just fascinating to me that a guy can be that 
impactful on the game with you know another favorite uh, stat of the quant heads is the usage rate his usage rate is incredibly low and and yet he has this just tremendous impact on what's going on in the court and so I wonder if there are other skills like shooting that when used properly can can have you know a, a ton of leverage on the game um, you know for, for me something to maybe look at is the the impact of a rim protector and in we know uh, the Celtics' challenges defensively this season, and despite their ability to play, which generally pretty good perimeter defense, even some of their their bigs, guys like Brandon Bass is an effective perimeter defender, but that lack of, of rim protector basically compromises the entire defense. And, you know, those are two kind of journeyman or handyman skills that, you know, weren't, you know, certainly don't draw the the, the, the max contracts, but I think teams, like you said, are starting to, to, to recognize that and, and go out and find those guys. Another guy I'll throw it there. Uh, you know, I think you mentioned San Antonio, and you know he 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 has you know he he got a starting role a little bit earlier than than Kyle Korver did uh, in his career, but still bounced around the league a little bit before he found a home. Was was Danny Green, and we know the role mm-hmm. he's played in the, in the last couple of NBA Finals, really on just you know being able to be a solid defender and shoot just well enough from that corner three that teams have to kind of shade a defender in, 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 in his direction. And, and so are there other, either other skills like that that you think that are maybe kind of undervalued um, or, or other players like that, that, that you think teams, you know, can, can you know, maybe the Celtics can benefit, you know, picking up a guy who's not going to draw a lot of attention on the free agent market or trade market. Yeah, no doubt. And I think you actually identified, you know, probably the biggest under other undervalued skill set being that defensive big man rim protector type. You use the term quant heads. I hadn't really uh, heard that one before. So I like, you know, as a quant head. And it was totally a compliment. (laughs) Well, we appreciate it, you know, but there's been an evolution of of the way that, that we look at and trying to evaluate players, right? Like, you know, for the longest time, it was just, you know, the basic box scores who scored the most points, got the most rings, whatever. Then you had uh, the kind of John Hollinger with the PER movement where it was like, okay, we'll look at the box scores, but we'll arrange them a different way and come up with, you know, some, some more information that we didn't have before. And you saw true shooting percentage and usage and all those types of things come up. Well, the next step after that, was the, the kind of plus minus approach, which looked at, okay, we, we won't even consider the box scores. We'll just look at how does a team perform when a certain player is on the court versus when he's not. And what we, you know, what we saw when we really looked into the plus minus was that there was, there seemed to be players that had, there were great three point shooters or, or they could really have that spacing effect that you were talking about had a really big positive impact way beyond what their box score stats would would suggest and with uh Dirk Nowitzki kind of being the poster child for that you know if, if, if Kobe Bryant a lot of people think of him as maybe being the best player of this generation but Nowitzki's plus minus impact has consistently been better than his over most of their career even though the box score stats weren't and part of it's because he was a seven footer that could shoot so he pulled his man out the lane and that meant that his other players could could really perform well when he was out there well the other thing is uh, I guess spoiler alert I've already said it but but the other skill that really showed up well in those stats was that defensive big man who could really have an impact on the game that won't show up at all in the box score. The Celtics uh, own, at least uh, uh, previously owned, Kevin Garnett was, was the poster child for that. He was by far the most impactful player in the NBA in his, you know, in his prime um, in the plus minus stat. Way beyond Kobe, um, beyond Dirk, even a little bit beyond Tim Duncan, who was the most similar to him, because he was having such a huge impact on the defensive end that didn't show up in the box scores, but it consistently made his teams play a lot better. While we were talking to Shams, a lot about Hassan Whiteside, and he's the type of player, I think, you know, coming back to your question, um, that that could be like that Corver type that has a bigger impact even than the gaudy rebound and block shot totals uh, suggest if he's able to translate that into really strong, you know, rim protection and, and, and defense. And so he's one we've talked about today, but another one on uh, your favorite team out in New Orleans, you know, Omer Ashi has been a poster child of that for the last couple of years. I think that you can get players like that, the pure shooters, the defensive big men for less monetary value than their on-court value might suggest. And so, yeah, I do think those are the type of players that someone like Danny, who himself is a quant head and also employs a whole lot of them, um, will be looking into. 
Yeah, and looking at you know where the Celtics might be able to acquire a guy like that, you know, is is the draft a realistic place to acquire like that? We we know we we look down in Kentucky and that that monster team they have right now, and not just monster in terms of the the depth of talent they have, but the depth of big man talent they have. You hear names like Carl Anthony Towns is is you know, expected to go in the top you know two three picks, and then you know of course Willie Cauley Stein has been been around for a couple of years. Is there a chance that the Celtics could fill that hole and kind of get that impact? defensive player with a guy like Willie Cauley-Stein, you know, kind of in that 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 5 to 10 range in the draft? It's possible, but I think it's more of a long-term possibility if that's where you're looking at. Because these big men, the, the defensive big men, their impact does not seem to translate immediately. You know, even your, your boy Anthony Davis, he's killing the game as far as block shots and rebounds. He has been, really, for the last couple of years. But when you looked at his plus minus stats, it wasn't translating because even though he was generating those big numbers, he didn't really understand the game enough yet to, to know angles, to know when not to, to jump for the block shot, when to just hedge out on a guy, how to rotate, you know, those are things that, that you get with years of experience. So I think the Cel- the Celtics could get someone who could grow into that defensive guy in a couple years, but I don't think if they get someone from the draft, that he's the guy you're going to plug in next year and say, okay, well, you know, now we've got that whole field. I, I think it, it'll take some time. Yeah, it was interesting. I'm watching the game on Friday night against Houston, and there was one point in the second quarter where – yeah, the Celtics had out in the court Marcus Thornton and Evan Turner and Gerald Wallace and um, <laughs> you know, and it was hard not to kind of flash back to you know, the 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 you know twenty years ago to the nineteen ninety five nineteen ninety six seasons and and just the struggles that team had. And you know, does this season feel like that for for you, or or is it kind of you know, yeah, it's a little bit of a transition, but you know what, it it, it isn't that bleak. We 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 know that we're gonna turn things around and, and Danny Ainge and, and Wick Grosbeck and company have, have what they need in place to, to kind of make this, this kind of painful transition period as short-lived as it, as it needs to be. Well, see, yeah, a lot of it comes back. And it's interesting. You know, it, it comes back to, if you've read LHR's book, he talks about how during those really terrible times during the nineties and, and, and in, into the early two thousands, those Celtics teams, didn't have any kind of long range plan. It didn't seem like that, that a lot of them were just, we, we, we got to get better now, you know, making all of our moves based on trying to win a couple more games now, which was absolutely not the thing to do because they didn't have the roster for that. And so I don't feel like Danny Ainge is some type of deity, but by the same token, he, he always seems to have a plan. He's always thinking ahead. He's always either trying to, to build assets or put assets together for something else. And so for me, it doesn't have the feel of one of those 95, 96 teams because I know that the reason why those players are on the court is because Danny's already put together trades involving the more talented players. Over the la- If you go the last year plus, you know, he's moved Garnett, Pierce, Rondo, Jeff Green and, and received a ton of assets in return that can help him to build towards his vision of what the future is. So... I guess he's earned that coin. You know, he's, he's, he's already brought a championship here. He's already shown some of what the fruits of his approach can be. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to let it play out and, um, you know, kind of see what happens. And speaking of needing to win now and making moves kind of consistent with that, uh, the Dallas Mavericks, who of course traded for Rajon Rondo early in their season, and a move that I think a lot of folks, you know, clearly look at as being a move to try to put them over the top in a, in a different difficult West, and um, it really hasn't so far kind of panned out that way. The Mavericks have kind of struggled with with Rondo in the lineup. They had a big win uh, the other night against the Heat. Um, what's your diagnosis? Is, is that roster kind of fatally flawed, and and have they taken a step back bringing this guy into the mix or is it more of kind of a acclimation period and Rondo figuring out how to kind of work with that lineup yeah I think it's definitely more of the latter I mean it's Rajon Rondo is at his heart he's the floor general he's the person that you put the ball in his hands and say okay run this team so anytime you swap that out on the fly that's going to be a big transition. We've talked about Rondo copious amounts over the last you know, few years, obviously. His strengths and weaknesses. He does have major weaknesses. He can't shoot. And that is a potential problem. 
Um, and his fit with Monte Ellis isn't perfect because Monte is another guy who's streaky anyway, and it needs the ball in his hands. But even with, but with that said, they have enough shooters on that squad. You know, Dirk is still out there. You know, they can put wings out there. They can shoot. You know, I think they'll find their level, especially once the playoffs approach, because that's always kind of been Rondo's time to shine anyway. So, you know, I, I think Dallas will eventually be fine. But yes, they are going through a transition. Yeah, it's hard for me to make any kind of judgment on that situation until I see what happens in the playoffs. I mean, we know Rondo raises his game when the stakes are the highest, and I think it's really premature to take a small sample, particularly with him. As you said, he's the he's the point guard, right? He's the orchestrating the offense, and a big part of that is understanding where guys need the ball and and how guys like to catch the ball and what type of passes even guys are most comfortable with, and and they're still feeling that out. and And his assist numbers have been down since the trade, uh, and his turnover numbers have been up, and I think that. That's kind of consistent with that. Uh, but once the, once the playoffs roll around, I think they're a dangerous team. You know, you've got a couple of guys in Rondo and, and Nowitzki that can be the best player on the court in just about any series at any given moment. And that's a, that's a tough thing to beat in the playoffs. And then you throw in a couple of wild cards like Tyson Chandler, who can dominate a game with that, that rim protection we were talking about a moment ago. And Monte Ellis, who can, you know, is such a streaky offensive player. He can dominate a quarter and even a whole game with, with his offense. And so it's really hard for me to write them off and, and kind of jump on the NT Rondo bandwagon and say, see, look what he's done to the, to the, uh, to the Mavericks here. He's, he's dragged them back down with them you know give it some time let's see what they do in the playoffs and if they continue to struggle then I'm, you know I'll be the first to really step up and say you know maybe the the, the game has the dynamics of the game has, have been altered in such a way you know we talked about the value of shooting that it's kind of you know moving in a direction of, away from a guy like Rondo uh, but on the flip side you know we know that the game changes pretty significantly when the playoffs come right a lot of these um, you know dynamics about how the game is evolving kind of maybe take a little bit of a back seat and teams can become more conservative conservative and stick with you know the things that have worked in the past so it'll be interesting to see but i but i have a really hard time you know making a judgment this early and i i think folks need to let it play out and, and see how things turn out all right well it's time for my favorite segment here on celtic speed i don't know about yours but are you ready andre let's do it all right our man shams uh hassan whitesides with 24 rebounds the other night what do you think can 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 he sustain this pace? It's not necessarily uh, 20 rebounds every night, but but at least maybe double-digit rebounds and up there among the lead leaders in blocks? Hey, he looks like the real deal. Um, you know, when my work with Rotowire is, is all about fantasy sports and just watching him from a fantasy perspective, you know, you want to see, can, can this guy do this night in, night out? And just every night he goes in, he's going after the ball, you know, whether it's rebounds, whether it's blocks, and that's all they ask him to do, you know, put backs on offense, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think he can be what he's been, you know, um, and uh, uh, that, that makes him a pretty exciting young player. You know, what do you think? I think if they can keep him on the court, I think he can be a contributor. Uh, just something about that mentality, unless he grows up really quick, I think is going to probably bodes for trouble down the road. We've, we've all seen what's <laughs> happened with Larry Sanders uh, recently, and I, I can see this kid going, going that way. But yeah, it looks pretty impressive. So, you know, crossing my fingers for me, he's, he's been a great story so far. Okay, well, uh, speaking of um, uh, the Heat and uh, his his defense or lack thereof, what did you think of the Mavericks' 37-2 to run against the Heat the other night? Yeah, I thought that was huge. You know, they've obviously been been struggling since the Rondo trade, and, and that was a tight game most of the way against an undermanned Heat team. And then they just blew the game open there over the third and fourth, and toward the end of the third quarter into the fourth. And that was just a tremendous run. And you know, I, I've got high hopes for the Mavericks teams once they hit the once they once they hit the playoffs. Uh, I think you know Rondo's still learning the personnel there, how he's going to orchestrate that offense. So uh, I think that might be a uh, I guess an omen uh, for things to come in, in Dallas. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think Dallas is a good team. They they kind of fly under the radar because they're in the West, and it's really hard when what you swap out is your floor general. But um, yeah, I, I think they'll be fine, especially you know um, once the playoffs roll around, because once you get there, anything can happen. That's right. Philadelphia 76ers won on Friday night, and they cracked the 10 win mark, and so they're not going to tie their uh, NBA <laughs> record uh, nine wins in a season. Uh, they, they've got their 10th. Uh, what do you think? Is uh, Sam Hinkie happy or sad? I think he's happy because, you know, as we've seen, the, the worst teams don't often win the lottery anyway. Yeah. So it's not like if he would have won six games, I would guarantee him the number one pick. And nobody really wants to be known as the worst team ever. So um, I, I think he's probably happy. What about you? 
you know, winning less than 10 games is just seems almost unfathomable to me. Right, you look at this Philadelphia roster, and they're already at ten, and it's just barely February. You know, you look at the uh, the Celtics back in those that disastrous ninety five ninety six season, and they managed to win fifteen games with Nate Driggers and Steve Hamer and Brett Zabo. You know, I, I can't imagine, and obviously, you know, the NBA was fewer teams back then, but how that nineteen seventy three Philadelphia team won only nine games? It, it it's just mind boggling to me. Yeah. So uh, what do you have as the over-under on the number of C's that are on the current roster that will still be here on opening night next year? I, I know this is going to be an, an unpopular opinion. I'll set the over and under on two. And if, if you held a gun to my head or, or you asked me to bet your money, Dre, uh, I would uh, I would definitely put it on the under. Um, I just... I've, I've got this feeling that what we're looking at right now is just a complete clearing of the decks. And these trades that have been made while people have been complaining about the value they've gotten back, I think you need to look at the value of a, of a blank slate, right? And and I think that's what, what Ainge's created. And I think, you know, now he's got the freedom to draft and trade and sign free agents without any thoughts of how does this guy fit with this guy? And, and if I put this guy next to this guy, any of these guys are movable. So I think he's looking at who are the, the, the guys, the eight or so guys that I want to I want to build as a team and and is not going to let the presence of really anybody and I would even throw Marcus Smart into this um, you know on the roster really kind of prevent him from doing that yeah it was interesting we had that Twitter you know uh, back and forth about that the other day and I, I agree with you that anybody on the team could move I just don't think everybody on the team will move you know so mm-hmm. if, if you set the over under at two I would take the over even if not by a lot you know I, I could see it being up to maybe five um, I, I think Danny's a Later, but I don't think he's necessarily going to just come in with, with 15 new guys next year. All so. right, the, the Lakers going through another tough season. Is it possible, unfathomable, that they're headed for a 22-year dark ages like the season in the 90s? Is the, the Lakers falling on that hard times? I don't think that's possible just because of the way that um, the salary caps and everything are set up, free mm-hmm. agency, and, and the fact that L.A. is such a glamour destination. You know, um, as, as much as we will hate to see it, you know, um, it, it's like a five year cycle for them to at least get back to interesting. I, I don't see um, a 22 years uh, like like what the Celtics had to face. Yeah, you know, in that 22 years, Celtics had a couple of uh, highlights, a couple of years where, where they were at least interesting, if, if that's the metric. And, I, you know, the thing that sticks in the back of my mind is that that ownership group is just a mess right now. And until that gets straightened out, I don't think that's they're, they're going to make any headway through free agency, through trades. I mean, somebody will take their money, but I don't see them really making any progress to, to building back towards something until they really settle that situation. And, and, and it may be at the point where the franchise needs to be sold yeah i mean i saw mitch kupchak try to defend kobe's uh super max two-year extension saying it was the right thing to do absolutely with no question so yeah there's definitely some problems with the brain trust in la right now yeah all right, Dre. Well, the Celtics have a pretty interesting week ahead. Five games on the slate this week, of course. Today's game against Miami at the Garden. Then they followed it up on Tuesday uh, with a visit to Knicks and the, uh, to New York uh, Madison Square Garden to, to face the, the woeful Knicks, speaking of teams uh, headed for dark ages. And then uh, they've got a couple of home games against uh, two two eminently you know, beatable teams in Denver and Philadelphia. And then on Saturday, to me, this is kind of the highlight of the week. We get to see a, a really interesting Milwaukee team that's really exceeded expectations so far this year yeah you know the celtics this year even with their kind of what is the question about what their their expectations are they should beat the knicks and they should beat (laughs) philadelphia you know we talk about them not having as much talent as the big guys but they have as much talent as them and you know as hard as they're working you know they even get philly at home you know I'm, I'm, i'm looking for at least two wins out of this week and then um as far as milwaukee my man Giannis. Atentenkopo, you know, I, I went for the name. I don't know if I got it, the Greek freak. I'll, I it sounded good to me. Play. I'll tip my cap to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I love watching him play. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that game as well. Well, that's what I'm about to do it. Uh, great, great show as always, Andre. All right. Look forward to the next one. Before we go, I want to remind listeners to head on over to lynda.com. It's a great way to expand your skills and learn something new to jumpstart your career or even just expand your horizons. They offer courses on topics like web development and SEO that are valuable in today's job market, as well as software training for Excel, WordPress, and other tools that can help you become more valuable at your current job. There are over 4,500 courses with new ones added every week, and every single one of them is taught by an expert. 
head on over to lynda.com, that's L-Y-N-D-A.com, and make 2015 the year you learn something new. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Chuck Dietz, Astrovex, and Steph Legratteau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. I'd like to thank our guest, Sham Sharania of Real GM. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, executive producer, Larry H. Russell, my co-host, Andre Snellings of Rotowire, I'm Rich Conti. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, exclusively on CLNS Radio.